See you guys. Okay, now let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. We've been a couple weeks in the second chapter. Last week we looked at the verses where John talks about the exclusive nature of following God. And he says, you, you have to make a choice. You either love God and allow God's love to come forth in your life, or you love the world and you let the world dictate what you're going to do with your life. He said, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And that's a very exclusive thing. But the thing that's difficult when you give people a choice like that is some people are going to choose wrong. Some people are going to opt for something other than God's love. And it's always painful when people make that choice. It's always difficult when that happens. But John here, now beginning with verse 18, begins to deal with that disappointment that inevitably comes when there are people who wander off and you're tempted to chase them. And in his case, he, he mentions that there are people who are antichrists. Anti means either against or instead of. It's another option other than. And they were interested in the antichrist, which is a, a character that the Bible describes as this world leader who will one day be, come to prominence and be involved in all of God's judgment of the earth and everything. And so they were no doubt wondering about the Antichrist, but he tells them, actually, there's lots of Antichrists. This isn't just, you know, there is one Antichrist. John's the only uh, writer in the New Testament that actually calls him the Antichrist, by the way. Um, there are a bunch of other names for him. But he says, hey, there are a lot of people who are living their lives apart from Christ. They're making choices of things instead of Christ. They're actually setting themselves off as being an enemy of Christ. And he says, you better get used to that. And in talking about this, he says, beginning with verse 18, little children, it is the last hour. Time's winding down. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. And then this verse, verse 19 is really a mouthful. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Did you get that? <laughs> what he's saying, and, and this has specific application to those who depart from the Christian faith and choose to go another way, and, and certainly they were dealing with some of that. But there's a general application in this passage to how we handle when people leave, how we handle when life changes, or when separation happens, or desertions occur, as was their case in, in the early church here. Now, to understand it, you, you have to put yourself in their place in their culture. For them, church was everything. You came to the Lord in that first century, and now you were adopted into a family. And everyone was designed to function together. And your whole existence centered around that group of people that you called church. And the Bible had taught us that, you know, we all have a place in the body, we all have gifts, and we need to be plugged in, and we need to be involved in 
for them, that was very real. There was persecution that was beginning to come up, difficulties, and so they got intimately attached to those who they were with. But over time, some people were leaving. Some people would bail. And that would have been really hard for them. A guy like John, John was all about love. He was a sensitive, passionate guy who, as he described Christianity, it was always about love. You read the Gospel of John and see how much he refers to love in there. And he calls himself the apostle whom Jesus loved. And so John was just, he was a guy who loved. And so for him, when people would leave, no doubt it would be painful. Now, the kind of people who would follow after John as a pastor would also tend to be people who would be more sensitive. And so even more than maybe in most places, they would just be distraught when someone would leave, when someone would bail. Now, what verse 19 says is, You need to understand this, and I think it has general application in any kind of disappointments in life, really. When people leave, that's a choice that they are making. But the very act of them leaving is demonstrating that they really didn't belong here in the first place because they didn't really want to be here. And, and And we're so tempted when people leave to make that a defining moment for us. And a lot of people, their lives and their value is defined by the fact that someone deserted them or somebody didn't want them or someone left them. And so often we allow other people's choices to, to define us, to dictate our lives. And so John was here. He wasn't saying, they went out, it's good riddance, they're losers. He's just going, no, look, they left. Therefore, I guess they didn't want to be here And that doesn't have anything to do with us. That doesn't make me something. Because I'm deserted, it says something about them, not about me. As I've often said, you don't lose friends. You only find out who your friends are. If they leave, obviously, they weren't what you thought they were. And and here John is just saying, look, in, in every category, you don't want people here who don't want to be here. And if they don't want to be here, it's good to find that out. Um, in the church, it would be, do you really, what would be the option? I mean, and people are always going to leave churches and go to other churches and stuff, and that's no big deal, but do you want to hang on to people and have them stay in a church if they really don't feel at home there, if they really don't feel like this is my church? Um, what, What happens, you hate to have them leave, but if they don't leave, then you end up with a bunch of people who don't want to be there. And so John's saying, look, when someone leaves, it defines them. It doesn't define you. Don't get get distracted by what they've done, and don't follow them, and don't trip out and overanalyze yourself about them. Now, as a pastor, it, it almost always hurts me when someone leaves, when someone goes, I don't want to be a part of your life anymore. I don't want to be a part of your church anymore. And I always pretend like it doesn't matter to me because I just want to act like, no, it's cool. You know, everybody's free to go. But when they go, it hurts because it's hard for me not to see that that's not saying something negative about me. And many of us in our lives are that way. Some of you felt rejection from your parents. And as a result, that kind of defined you for a long time because it's like, 
man, they bailed on me, therefore there must be something wrong with me. But what John is saying here is, no, that's okay. It's a free country. You want people to be free to leave. The only thing worse than having someone leave you is having someone stay who wants to leave. And, you know, even for some of us, you might have felt the rejection of friends or family members, but for some of you, it's even when someone dies and goes to be with the Lord. You feel like, how could they desert me? But the same thing applies, see? Would you rather have them here if God says, I'm finished? It's time for them to be in heaven. Would you say, no, I want them to be here and be miserable with me? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. In the same way, it's like the last thing I would want is to have a packed out church and half the people here can't stand me, but they're afraid to leave because I'm going to make them feel guilty or I'll talk about them after they're gone. You know, that's not, that's not what you want. I, I, I would rather have the church half full. Oh man, if we ever just had one service, that would be awesome. But I, but I would, for me, but at the same time, I don't want to look out at a sea of faces and know that a bunch of them are just going, I just, you know, I, I'm here because somebody's making me or I've always been here or I'm going to outlast you or, you know, those kinds of things. That doesn't do anyone a favor. And to understand this principle in life is, is to come to the point where we don't hang on to others and by hanging on to others, make ourselves slaves to others. We either decide that God gets to do what he wants to do and that people in our life are free, or we will live our life completely enslaved to what other people want us to do. And God has decidedly made up his mind that he doesn't want to force anybody to do anything. And certainly God could force us, but he chooses not to. And so for us, this is a deal of, okay, am I going to allow things to happen in my life that disrupt my life, but it's okay because that tells me not about me, it tells me about them, and if they don't want to be with me, then I certainly don't want to be with them. And that's kind of what he's saying. Now, that's a painful thing to come to terms with sometimes in our lives. It's, it's difficult because by nature, we tend to be conservative, we tend to want things to keep going the way that they are. And we tend to actually prefer the hell that we know to the hell that we don't know. And therefore, we're like, yeah, I'm miserable, but I don't know what I would ever do if they would leave me. And, it, you know, it's really funny when it's like when somebody gets dumped by someone and in such a cold way, I, I sometimes go, what's the problem? This is the best thing that's ever happened to you. There are people who work in a job for years, and they're totally loyal to that company. And then the company, just for a stupid reason, just bails on them and cuts them off completely. I remember knowing a guy, my next-door neighbor, when I was growing up, had just been so loyal to, um, to a large corporation that built a major theme park in Anaheim. And <laughs> he helped build the thing. And, and, and yet when he got to the point where the next week he would get full retirement, they fired him. And it just devastated him because he was so loyal to that place. And, you know, he ended up, he left and he got a job at, 
you know, the other one, the other amusement park in Buena Park, but it was just never the same because, you know, you're walking around in an amusement park that's ju got junk on the ground. It just doesn't feel the same as the happiest place on earth. But he found out the happiest place on earth wasn't really happy for him because he did something really horrible. But here's the thing. Would you rather work for a company that would do something like that and continue to believe that they wouldn't? Or would you rather just, let's find out, what are you like? And I mean, often those things where, I mean, sometimes somebody just bails on a marriage. Where you go, well, if that was in their heart, you really want them to stay? Would you really want them to still be with you? Because that's really overly dependent and unhealthy to have that attitude. In some marriages, somebody, somebody leaves years ago, they never actually physically move out, but they've bailed long ago and nobody wants to put a fork in it and just admit that it is what it is and we go oh that's a tragedy well I mean there's a tragedy somewhere along the line but a tragedy would be living your life with somebody who doesn't want to be with you and you don't realize that and you don't you can't recognize it or call it what it is so John is dealing with this basic principle that says you need to accept that if somebody leaves it tells you something about them. And so in the case of the church, if somebody were to leave Christianity, that would be so devastating. It doesn't matter why they're leaving. Maybe they just prefer something else. Maybe they never believed and they were faking it. Maybe they don't want to deal with the persecution. For whatever reason, he said, look, they went out from us because they never really belonged here. And so I wouldn't want to keep them here. I wouldn't want to force them here. They went out to show what they're really like. Don't think that them leaving shows you what you're like. You know, your relationship is a personal one. And then he goes on to explain that. Now, in laying this teaching out, he then takes us back to, okay, when you're feeling deserted, when you're feeling abandoned, when you're feeling insecure about where you are based on what other people are doing, what do you do with that? You just sit and mourn and mope and hope. Do you follow them and go, they must be going somewhere cool because, you know, they left here. It must be better than this. Or do you do what John said to do here? And that is, he said, you need to get back to the basics of what you understand. You need to get back to the things of which you are most certain and, and let go of everything else. Pastor Chuck often says, when you come upon something in life that you don't understand, then hang on to what you do understand. And he says, don't ever let go of what you understand because of what you don't understand. And, and that's kind of where John goes with this. And so he says, okay, there's a loss. Okay, this is difficult. But let's get back to what you know because the truth is there are things that you know that have a great effect on how you handle what you don't know. And there are things that you know that will, you will find are the most basic fundamental building blocks of what life is all about. And so, beginning with verse 20, he begins to explain that. And in verse 20 he says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, that is, you have the Holy Spirit, and you know all things. He doesn't mean you know all things, obviously, or he wouldn't be telling them anything. You know all things meaning you know everything that you need to know. Um, you're not going to sit and think really hard and come up with something new that's going to change this. 
And then he says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. It could be kind of confusing, but he says, I'm not going to lie to you. I want you to face the truth. To find the answer to how you deal with whatever's happening in your life, it's going to come by being honest. It's not going to come by being phony. It's not going to come by playing games. It's going to come by facing reality because that's what God does. And then he says, you have the Holy Spirit. He's anointed you. The Father and the Son are intimately connected. You can't deny one without the other. They both work together. And so what you have here is, he says, here's what you need to start with. It's what we call the Trinity, the triunity of God. The fact that there is one God, but he is in three distinct persons. Now, you may wonder, what does that have to do with losing someone? What does that have to do with, with being deserted by someone? But everything starts with God. And, and the reason why he wants to take us here is because understanding who God is puts everything else in huge perspective. So, for instance, um, you know, oh, my life has changed. I don't like this change. We'll back up a little bit and look at God. Now, I don't understand the Trinity. Let me just tell you flat out, I do not completely understand how God can be one and, and still be three persons. But I know that it's taught completely through Scripture. And the truth is, if I'm going to follow a God, I want him to be so big that I don't totally understand him. If God could fit in a little package, then I think he'd be a dummy-down version of God. And sometimes we do dummy down our understanding of God in order to try to get a grip on it. And so people say, oh yeah, I understand the Trinity. It's kind of like water. It can be liquid, you make it cold, it turns solid, you warm it up, it turns into a gas, but it's all basically molecularly the same thing. But that's not the way God is. God doesn't just turn into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible makes that really clear. There's a theological error called modalism, and there are some people, the Jesus-only people and others who advocate that today, where they make God understandable by saying, Sometimes he appears as the Father, sometimes he appears as the Son, sometimes he appears as the Spirit. Kind of like Clark Kent and Superman, kind of a variation on schizophrenia. But that's not it, because biblically, God has always been a relationship. God has always been Father, Son, Holy Spirit for all of eternity past, for all of eternity future, he will be as well. And None of them is a part of God. Every one of them is completely and totally God. As Paul tells us in Colossians, in Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in a bodily form. So it's, it's way more than just God decides to dress up like the sun for Halloween. I mean, in the Bible, you saw at the baptism of Jesus, the Father speaking from heaven, Jesus is being baptized, the Holy Spirit is descending on him all at once. He's not that kind of a quick change artist. They are distinct. And in fact, the essence of God is relationship. 
It's why when relationships go well, we feel so blessed by God and so close to him because we're getting into an area of, of closeness that, that we can't fathom without him. It's the way he has made us. But the point is, really, we always need to come back to who is God. Because if God is as big as the Bible teaches, if he is totally transcendent, that is over all of everything and separate from creation, but at the same time he is so eminent that he can live inside of us, that the Holy Spirit actually lives in us, then God's so complex and, and of such magnitude that it puts a perspective on things. So I look and go, oh no, somebody you know, left my life or somebody broke up with me or whatever. What do I get? I get God. I get Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's living inside of me. He's taking care of the universe. He, he saved me. He's, uh, there's so much more here than anything that I could ever lose. And so John says, first things first, here's something you should hang on to. Take a look at what the Bible reveals about God himself and begin to think about that a little bit and see if that doesn't give a perspective on whatever it is that you're mourning that you've lost, whatever it is that's gone, if you have him. Now he goes on and says in verse 24, therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. He says, let it soak in who God is and understand that ultimately when you met God, it was because he offered you salvation. He wanted to be in a relationship with you and he came to you and you met him. Now this is again coming back to Okay, first of all, to get a perspective on your life, you're saying, I want to see God. Now we're talking about, and let's look at the day you met him. Let's look at the time when you had nothing else but him. Most of us came to Jesus because we were out of options. Now some of you were blessed to kind of grow up always knowing about the Lord, but still I think you had to come to a point, maybe you don't remember the exact day, but you had to come to a point when you made a decision that you were really going to live your life for him. Or if you haven't done that, you need to do that. And here's why that's important. When, when the Lord met me and offered me salvation, it was because nothing else I had was enough. I might have had some nice things, but it was never enough. And so he comes, and I decide I will go for him as opposed to all my other options. You never come to Jesus until you run out of options, ultimately. Now, it's funny because most of us in this room know Jesus. Most of us came to a time when we decided to walk with him. But every one of us took a very different road to get there. And thinking back on where you were when he saved you is another good way to get perspective. After you look at God, then look at salvation. Look at what God did for you. Think of where you would be if you didn't have him. If you got saved when you were young, just imagine what your life would have become without God. And John says, think about that. Not just how big God is, but that he met you. Where were you when you met him? Where were you when you finally realized that he was what you 
desperately needed. He probably used some huge lack in your life to bring you to that point. He probably used some loss of some sort to get you to the point where you were giving up and then you're like, I'm all out of options and so I'm going to come to Jesus and allow him to save me. Now, here's why that's important to get back to that. When we come to the Lord, everything changes. I mean, we really, we become blessed. He, 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 he gives us things. We, we find connections and relationships with others. Often he just blesses our life. Maybe we get a good job, a nice house, a nice car, and things really are going well, and we're giving God the glory for it and all, and, because God's good, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. But what happens is, we can start to get attached to the presence instead of getting attached to the one who gave us the presence. And so for us, it's no longer about a connection with God. It's about a connection with God that gave us all this stuff. And then every time we lose one of our toys or even one of our associations or relationships, it freaks us out because for us, ultimately, it started out being about Jesus, but now it's about Jesus and my church, my friends, my family, my job, my house, my car, my getting the right guy to get elected, my whatever it is, my, my body, my health, my you name it, my activities that I enjoy, and all that becomes lumped in to a big stack. And God wants to say, you need to get down to basics. You need to remember what salvation is all about and what it means to actually have the eternal God living inside you. You're getting too attached to other things and other people. And so sometimes what God has to do is start to remove those things and we feel completely deserted and yet there he is. Or there he is in the life of the people who are left. You know what it's like to be somebody's friend and they're just moaning all the time about, you know, some other friend that they lost? It's like, hey, I'm here. Isn't this okay? You know, being a, you know, somebody who feels like, oh, my life is over when I lose this loved one and now it's like the other one's just a, the booby prize or something. And God understands that. He connects to that and he says, I can't let you hold your life together with a bunch of things that aren't me. And so I'll start to eliminate things so that it'll be okay with you to let go of them. The amazing thing is often when we are willing to let go of something, we don't even have to. It's just looking at that and saying, God, if you take that, it's okay. Britt Merrick yesterday at the men's conference gave a, a great message but he talked about his little girl who had cancer and, and boy, she went through this tough treatment and everything. Finally, she was declared cancer-free and six weeks later had another big tumor. And he said, man, I had such a battle with God because I had to work out, okay, what if God takes my little girl? Am I still gonna love him? Am I still gonna serve him? It feels like such a rip-off that I'm just dedicating myself to serving God. What if he takes her away? What if he takes Daisy Love out of my life? And he said he had to come to the point where he said, no, nothing will change in my relationship with God, no matter what he takes out of my life, including my precious little girl, 
because it has to have that kind of focus. So God knows what to remove in order for him to fill the space. If the church was half full, I mean, every Sunday I come in, it's time for the service to start and the place is half full. And every Sunday I think, okay, it's finally caught up to me. People have figured out. I'm starting to tell the same stories. It's old hat. There's a place down the street that's more exciting. And, uh, you know, I was wondering when this would happen. Because every week I wonder, is anybody going to show up? And by the time the service starts, it's full. And I go, okay, got away with it for another week. But, you know, if the place was half full, God would fill up those other seats. And if people are serving and then they, and then they aren't, then God will bring somebody else to do it because it's about Him. And it's all about us not becoming attached to things that are inferior to a relationship with Him. And so he says, back up a little bit to the day when you had nothing, to the day when you were unemployed and you got that job and you praised me for giving you that job. If I take that job away, now you're just back where you started from. But sometimes it's good to get back to that place and get that perspective. And so he says, you want to get down to basics, look at God and look at your salvation. Look at where you were when God met you, where you would be without him. And then he goes on and says, I've written these things um, so that you, you concerning those who try to deceive you. I don't want anybody fooling you into believing otherwise. Verse 27, for the anointing which you have received from him, from the Holy Spirit, abides in you. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit was put in you and he stays there. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So he says, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And, you know, you don't need anyone to tell you what to do. Now, he says you don't need anyone to teach you. If that really meant that you don't need anyone to teach you, I would have gone to this verse first and let you get home in time to see the fourth quarter of the early game. But, and John was teaching while he said this, so it doesn't mean that there's no place for teaching. But what he is saying is, just don't eliminate the reality that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. This is God completely. And if you're his child and you've accepted him, he is in there and he's telling you what to do. And a lot of times you know what you're supposed to do before anyone ever tells you. And he goes, come on, you don't need somebody else making your decisions for you. And again, this just sets you up for failure. If you live your life trying to please people, if you live your life trying to do what other people want you to do, you'll never really live your life at all. Jesus Christ died for you so that you would be free. That means that you, he says, look, I could force you to do what I want you to do, but you know what? I want you to do what you want to do. Now that sounds radical, but God wants you to do what you want to do. And what he wants to do is to work in your life in such a way that you start wanting to do what he wants you to do, but it's your choice. God always said, look, if you're going to give to me, don't give unless you want to. If you want to serve me, don't do it unless you want to. God could force us the way people do sometimes, but instead he says, no, you are free. I want you to do what you want to do. Now, this is trusting the Holy Spirit in this way is a radical concept for most of us. 
Because most of us have just been corralled and whipped into being something that we don't know if we really want to be it or not. And a lot of people would say, if you just tell people to listen to the Holy Spirit and then just do whatever they think the Holy Spirit is telling them to do, people go, that's radically dangerous. That's a scary thing. And I go, I know. It is scary. The only thing that's scarier is to not do that. And having people doing the right things for the wrong reasons and never learning how to listen to the Holy Spirit. Understand this, and John wants to make it really clear. If you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And he is speaking to you, and you can trust that voice as he talks to you. Now, if you're a child of God and you want the Holy Spirit to speak to you, you're certainly going to read his word. You're certainly going to pray. You're certainly going to be involved in fellowship. So if you're not doing those things, this doesn't count. But if you're doing those things, I am not afraid at all to tell someone, just do what you think the Lord wants you to do. Just listen to the Spirit, because that's what it is to walk in the Spirit. Somehow we have to get off this kick of doing things because the rule book says so, of doing things because I know that somebody will be upset with me if I don't do it. Conforming our lives to other people is allowing somebody else to be the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, much more than we like to admit, we know what we're supposed to do. I mean, as I've said many times, when I'm counseling people, sometimes they go, I really need to know what God's will is. And I say, you already know what God's will is, don't you? And they go, yeah. (laughs) How'd you know? It's because we know. Our problem is we don't want to do what he is leading us to do. And so, so often we just sit there and don't do anything because we have this nagging feeling that we're supposed to do something, but we're scared to death that we'll be wrong. We're afraid that what we feel like the Spirit is telling us to do isn't really what He wants us to do. And let me make it really clear, sometimes that's the case. I can fool myself into believing that God's talking to me when it turns out I really look back and wonder whether He was talking to me or not. But that doesn't scare me at all. Because the majesty of God, remember back up, the Trinity He is everywhere. He is all-powerful. He's amazing. He is inside every child of God. And I will let him be God. I will let him call the shots. And sometimes I'm wrong. I'm not perfect. But even when I'm wrong, Romans 8, 28 is true. God causes all things to work together for good. So I never really know if I made a mistake or not. Because he makes the mistakes look like they were a good call. Now, Sometimes things I do will cost me. And and sometimes just to to do what you know is right might even cost you a relationship. It might even cost you your job or something else. Um, But you still, the cost of obeying somebody other than God is just too great to not take that chance. If you lose something because of that freedom of the Spirit, then you're losing something that God wants to remove from you Because he wants it to be an honest relationship with him whereby we do what we feel God is telling us to do. And the great thing is, I learn when I do that. Now, chances are, I mean, I'm I'm older than many of you. I've been a Christian for a lot longer than perhaps most of you. I do a lot of reading. I have some 
some intelligence. So chances are, if you came to me and asked me to make decisions for you, and I'd be really objective when it comes to you because I don't want anything from you, so I could probably do a really, take a really good shot at telling you what to do. But if I did that, you would never learn. And the message that you would get is, boy, we need to obey Dave. We need to obey what Dave says about the Bible. That's not what God has for you. If you did that and he took me away, you would be like, oh no, I'm starting from scratch. And so in all of my counseling, and if you've come to me for counseling, you probably remember this. Um, Sometimes people don't want to hear it, but I always say, look, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to lay it out for you. What you need to do is pray and see what you think God wants you to do and then you do it. Now, I'm not that scared about you doing something stupid by me giving you permission to do something stupid. Because, number one, you're going to do stupid things even if I tell you what to do, the right thing to do. You're still going to go against it. But secondly, sometimes doing stupid things works out really well. And sometimes when it doesn't, it causes us to learn lessons. I've told um, many times before, I'm probably getting senile, but... But I just love this story. There was a guy that I, that I met at Calvary Costa Mesa many, many years ago back in the hippie days. And this guy was brand new Christian. And he's driving down the street over in Santa Ana over off Flower Street where they have those huge houses with the big front yards and mailboxes in front. And he felt like God was telling him to go stick his head in a mailbox and yell, Jesus loves you. And he knew that was crazy, and he was just like, oh man, I can't do that. But he just felt like God wanted him to do it. And so he stopped his car. He's looking around. There's nobody around. And he goes and he opens this big mailbox and he yells, Jesus loves you. And it was like a megaphone. It reverberated. You could hear it all over. And he just ran. He slammed the mailbox and he ran to his car and a guy came out of a house right next to it. And he goes, oh man. So he went over and he goes, hey, I'm sorry. I just became a Christian. I thought God was telling me this and don't call the police. I'm leaving. It's okay. And, and the guy said to him, well, wait, wait, wait. He goes, I was just in my house and I was standing up on a stool and I had my head in a noose and I was going to kill myself. But I said, God, if you're real, you need to tell me you love me right now. And he said, I heard this, Jesus loves you. <laughs> now, after that, no doubt, there were a lot of kooky people, and I might be one of them, who thought that God was telling them to do something like that. But you know what? It's not going to do a lot of damage. I mean, don't go kill somebody because God tells you to kill them. But if it's something that's not going to do any, it's not going to hurt anything, why not listen to what you believe the Holy Spirit is? And I sincerely would rather have you do something wrong because you believed it was the Spirit than to have you do something right for the wrong reason. And, and God has called a lot of people to do a lot of crazy things over the years, and I'm not going to be the one who will want to talk you out of it. Because life is to be lived in submission to the Spirit of God. If you can't learn to hear from Him and to go with what He tells you against all other input and advice, hey, I know sometimes I have to do what I know that God's telling me to do, and it could cost me everything. And on a daily basis sometimes, 
we get into those kinds of situations. But after all, isn't the Christian life about doing what God is telling you to do, regardless of what everyone else's opinion is, regardless of whatever you could lose as a result of it? And I would say yes. And, and so here, John is just saying, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you actually know what to do. You don't need somebody else to teach you what to do. You need to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and do what you believe that he's telling you to do, and he'll take care of it if it's a mistake. He'll cover you. But do not live your life letting something else be the Holy Spirit or letting someone else be the Holy Spirit, or God may just remove that person from your life. If you give in to their pressure, God may just go, I cannot have you living like this. So you either stand up and, and act in integrity and do what I'm telling you to do, or I will clean house. And sometimes that's what has to happen. But it's better off if you don't do that, if you just say, you know what? I'm going to listen to God. I'm going to do what he's telling me to do. Now he goes on and says, who I have to finish. I'm on the radio in five minutes. But uh, he, goes, he goes on and says, and now, verse 28, little children abide in him that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So now he says, here's something else you know. Jesus is coming back he will return. He promised he would and he's going to. So when you're dealing with your loss, put it in perspective that Jesus could come back at any time. And if he's going to return, you stick with him. You don't let somebody else own you. You don't let somebody else control you. You listen to him and you stick with him. And does this thing that you're really bummed out about, does it really matter in eternity? You know, do you think that when we get to heaven, we've been to heaven for a hundred years, you're still going to be hunting up for all your old girlfriends and boyfriends and trying to figure out why they broke up with you? It's not going to matter. Jesus is coming back. Let go and live for his return. And then as he says in the last verse, he is righteous. And you know, everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. The final insight that he wants us to dwell on is the fact that when you're following him, it actually works. It starts to feel right. You start to do things that are right. You find yourself being the best version of you that you can be. You're touching people. You're making a difference in their life. That's what righteousness is. And righteousness comes when you're in the right place. Righteousness comes when you have the right priorities amazing things start to happen in our lives whenever we make a difficult decision to do what's right and we go, this feels right. This actually works. Trying to be righteous will never make you righteous. But looking at God and understanding your relationship with Him and remembering when that started and, and ultimately coming to a point where you're listening to the Holy Spirit and doing what he leads you to do, you'll end up doing the right thing for the right reasons. You'll end up learning and growing, and it'll, it won't be forced. It won't be klutzy. It won't be clumsy. It'll just be, I finally feel like I'm alive. You ever have those 
experiences where you make a difficult decision and you just feel like, I feel like I just had smelling salts. I'm, I'm seeing things more clearly. This was just the right thing to do. And, and that's what John is saying. That's ultimately where it leads. You'll be doing it right. Life will work for you. You'll be blessed. You won't be dependent on everyone else. You won't be dependent on all your stuff. You won't be at risk of being shattered by losing someone. You'll be living in confidence of who God is, secure in Him. And when we do that, our relationships could never be better because we're not putting a heavy load of burden or expectation or manipulation on someone else. We're doing it right, and it feels right. And, and so that's what John says. So, yeah, there are times when we lose someone, when people choose to go away. So he says, don't trip out on that, and don't think that somehow that defines you. Them leaving has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them. Let them go. You get your eyes on God. Look at the triune God. Look at how great He is. Understand that He saved you. He chose you. He wants to be with you forever. That God, He loves you so much. And He's put His Holy Spirit inside of you, and He's constantly talking to you, and you choose whether you listen or not, whether you obey or not. He's going to return someday, and righteousness comes by doing the right thing, by doing what He tells you to do. So, a great uh, encouragement, I think, to us, a great reminder of the basics of what we know for sure. Each of these things are things that I'm absolutely certain of. I would stake my life on them. I have staked my life on them. And so that is the core of where we need to get our heads when we're feeling like life is getting risky, I'm afraid of losing, I'm afraid, you know, blow all that stuff off. Start with God and what he is to you, and he'll take care of everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be coming through in the package. Ultimately, God's going to give us everything that, that we could ever truly desire. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this reminder from your word. And it's a difficult one, because when we talk about stuff like this, it forces us to remember some of the pain of our life. And yet, Lord, you were always there. And we believe you that we haven't lost anything that we're not better off without. And, and so, Lord, we want to live one day at a time with your Holy Spirit filling us, with us listening to what you tell us to do, with us living in light of eternity. Help us to keep a light hold on life. Help us to just let you be God and not to ever allow other people to be God to us. Help us to follow no one except you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.